and art has definitely been a way for me to channel whatever rage and grief and all these things I might be feeling internally into something that I hope will will better the world. Hello, print friends, and welcome. I'm your host, Miranda Metcalf. This is a bilingual podcast, so if you subscribe to us, you'll be getting episodes in English with me, as well as in Spanish with Ronaldo Gil Zambrano. Together, we speak to people from around the globe about their practice and passions in the fields of print media and multiples. Hello, print friend is brought to you by Speedball Art Products who've been offering a diverse range of high-quality products to your practice since 1997. But we all know those products do not use themselves, and that's why Speedball works with a fantastic lineup of contemporary printmakers who make up the Speedball team of demo artists. Artists like Miles Calvert. This cheeky Canadian uses his wit and whimsy to make every demo as educational as it is fun. In his personal practice, major bodies of work has included massive installations of screen-printed pieces of toast and the idolization of British celebrity culture. So if you want to learn a few tricks of the trade and expand and improve your practice, head on over to Speedball's YouTube channel and see how it's done. There's a link in the show notes. This episode is also brought to you by Legion Paper. Legion Paper is a fine art paper company representing the best papers in the world. They either stock it, source it, or make it. With brands like Stonehenge, Somerset, Coventry, Reeves, Arches, and more, Legion is the best paper resource for every artist's and printmaker's needs. Learn more about the variety of papers Legion stocks at www.legionpaper.com. My guest this week is Sayare Rafai, an artist and activist working in Tacoma, Washington. We talk about learning how to print by hand in a skate shop in Oaxaca, the importance of friends and mentors, doing research into NAFTA's impact on artists, and moving big presses. So, without further ado, sit back, relax, and prepare to build community with Sayare Rafai. Hi Sayare, how are you doing? I'm good, how are you doing today, Miranda? I'm doing really good, thank you for taking some time out of your day to chat with me. Likewise. <laughs> yeah. So I found your work and your practice through Just Seeds, which is a, a really wonderful organization that maybe we'll get a chance to talk about later on. I'm always following and seeing what they're doing. And I was just really taken with your voice and your practice. And I'm looking forward to getting to know you and your work a little bit more. Thank you. I appreciate you reaching out. And happy to share what I can. <laughs> so before we get into chatting in depth, would you please let me know who you are, where you are, what you do? My name is Sayri Rafai. I use they and she pronouns. I'm calling you from the traditional lands of the Puyallup people or Tacoma, Washington. I originally grew up in McMinnville, Oregon just small town in the Willamette Valley in between Salem and Portland. I come from an immigrant family in that my father is from Iran. My mom is from Hong Kong and somehow <laughs> they met in a small town in Oregon. Aww. 
where I grew up. And I would say now I'm still figuring out, you know, I think it's a lifelong journey figuring out who I am and where my all my identities and experiences, you know, want to take me. I'm I tell folks that I'm a community artist and that I when I work on projects that are front facing to the community, I really try to be intentional about the story that's being told. I've done printmaking off and on since 2011, and I also draw and do community murals, paintings, but I also have a day job too, so I'm really interested in food and the environment, and so my my day job currently encapsulates working in community around food access and education about uh, growing your own food and trying to provide resources for folks who want to be able to grow some of their own food or start businesses, whether that's a farm or some other type of food-related thing. So, Wow, that sounds like incredible <laughs> day job work. I would love to hear maybe a bit more about it later on because I have very passionate personal beliefs about how absolutely important that kind of work is. So, But before we do that path. I'd love to hear a little bit more about the formative years for you. So what role did art play in your young life growing up in a small town in Oregon? Were you, did you feel an art community? Did you visit museums? Were you someone who was always drawing? What are those formative years of art like for you? When I was the age that I was able to stand, I, I kind of call her my adopted grandma, or my white grandma, Marie Delaney, gifted me a little easel for toddlers. And my mom said that I would stand there for hours while she was cooking or doing stuff around the house. And I would just be scribbling, drawing. And like, she remembers this time that I was sitting at the coffee table and I was scribbling something really intently. And she comes over and asks me, Syrie, what are you doing? And what are you doing? And I just like look up and kind of roll my eyes like, like almost like a teenager, like, mom, why are you bothering me? (laughs) (laughs) And drawing is just, and art has just been something that I've done my whole life. And I think, you know, we're, we're taught to be creative at a young age and sometimes we lose that. And I feel grateful that I've been able to continue in some capacity. I think some other formative times in my life, you know, during school, I'd be in art clubs and we make these little murals for outside classrooms and painted in the classroom on walls. And then when I was ready to go to college, I got a little discouraged because I couldn't get into any art classes my Mm. first semester, but I was also interested in languages and the environment. So it, you know, I ended up taking Chinese and Spanish my first semester and I was like maybe I'll do global studies maybe I'll be an anthropology major and eventually I settled on environmental studies my sophomore year of college I had the opportunity to study for a semester in Oaxaca Mexico and that was more of a social justice focused semester where we um, were able to stay and study for a little bit in Chiapas as well in one of the caracoles or like intentional indigenous communities of the Zapatistas. We saw 
maquiladoras like factories and, and the impact of international trade agreements in Mexico and forced migration. It really opened my eyes to a lot of things, as well as so much street art mm-hmm. and political art. I also made a friend there named Ashley. Ashley me translates in Nahuatl to semilla in Spanish or seed. And he's a friend who uh, his family owns a skate shop in downtown Oaxaca City. And so in the evenings, if I wasn't doing homework, I'd just pop by, say hi. And one day he was carving a wood block and I had never seen one before or someone actually working on one. I was like, wow, that's so cool. It's like, yeah, I'm taking a class right now. I can teach you if you want. And I was like, wow, sure. I would love to learn. So he's like, okay, go to the Frida Kahlo Kahlo art store on the south side of the town or the city. Get these tools called gubias. And I was like, okay, I'll I'll go. And and then we met up again and he brought a wood block for me to carve and taught me how to not hurt myself while I was carving. And that was my first print ever. And he taught me how to print by hand in the skate shop. And then when I came back to campus, I learned that the art department had print, a printmaking studio and there were printmaking classes. And I was like, oh my gosh, <laughs> I'm going to see if I can take as many classes as possible. And so the professor, Craig Cornwall at the time, I sent him a message and was like, hey, I only have a couple years left. I can't, I don't have enough time to be a full arts major but I really want to take printmaking here, like some examples of the prints I've made already. And he let me bypass the drawing prerequisite course. Oh, nice. (laughs) Printmaking. And I just tried to fit in as many classes as I could before I graduated, (laughs) along with my other requirements uh, for my major. So that was definitely a pivotal moment. Also, after coming back from Oaxaca, my parents who've been really, really supportive of just my creative journey, sent me photos of a Just Seeds show of kind of environmental justice-focused prints that Thea Gar had put up at uh, Old College in my hometown. So they sent me a bunch of pictures and were like, hey, this looks like a lot of the art you were taking pictures of and posting about in Oaxaca. And I was like, oh my gosh, there's people here who make this kind of... <laughs> so that was my intro into to just seeds and my parents graciously <laughs> talked to Thea at the show and were like hey you need to meet my daughter she likes to do art <laughs> and they connected me with Thea and the next time that I was visiting home on a break I set up the time to meet with her I slept in on accident but she was still graciously and <laughs> <laughs> gave me some homemade scones and just sat in like her beautiful family home and we talked about printmaking and art and then when I was taking printmaking classes we would send each other test prints and wrote little messages on the back sending snail mail and and now Thea I consider it's like a big sister to me mm. just you know able to talk to her about life stuff about art stuff and yeah she's definitely been been one of those people who I may not see as often as I'd like to, but it's always really encouraging. And we always learn something from each other when when it's the right time for us to see each other. So 
I'm grateful for, for Ashley, for the, uh, I consider them my first teachers in printmaking. Yeah. Oh, that's such a beautiful story of your, your introduction to printmaking and then how you were able to continue it once you were back in the States. I, I would be hard pressed to think of a more fitting place to get introduced to printmaking than Oaxaca. So that's, that's really wonderful. Have you been able to travel back since and see Ashley or kind of return as a, as a person who's more involved in printmaking and printmaking and activism and how they overlap since then? Yeah, I was able to return on a grant the summer before I, my last year to uh, conduct interviews with artists. So I was able to meet a lot more printmakers. Uh, The subject of my research was more to see how NAFTA had impacted artists. In Oaxaca, I ended up learning a lot more about the student movement in 2006 and the formation of various artist collectives, in part because of that movement building. So, and then I've had friends that have lived there or moved to Oaxaca as well. So I've been able to to visit Ashley and some other friends there and, and meet more artists. So I'm grateful to like have some of those connections and and continue like through social media, see what folks are up to. Cause he's not doing printmaking as much now. He's cooking and, you know, running the skate shop, but also painting more more murals with spray paint, things like that. I would love to hear what your findings were from that trip in terms of NAFTA's impact on on artists. I think I mostly hear about, of course, its impacts on farming communities and agricultural side of things. But how did that, did you find when you were there doing those interviews, how did that manifest for the lives of artists? A lot of them talked about the increase in, in imported goods mm-hmm. and... And also, these a lot of these collectives were formed because of sharing resources, right? Like, having your own press is pretty expensive. Having a group of people to collaborate with is really important. And it was also a time where a lot of art was just going up in the streets. There was this impact of, because of the student movement, too, in, in 2006, a lot of tourists were scared to go to Oaxaca, and mm. so... It's sales for artists as well. There is a reliance on tourism. So in different aspects, can see how that does impact artists. But I think at the same time, it's like an opportunity to build community and, and build those relationships to create a lot of art in the streets. And we still see so much of that today, even as Oaxaca, I feel like, is becoming more gentrified and tourist-centric. There still is there still are several uh, workshops where they are really focused on socio and political art. Mm-hmm. Yeah. Specifically. And in terms of your own story, I feel like we got this beautiful introduction and your story about how you found printmaking and how art was sort of always a part of you. What about your introduction to activism and being mindful of the big things in the world that are affecting people and the way in which art intersects with that. Was that something that was a part of young childhood? Was this something that came more in college for you? Well, this also came 
during that semester in Oaxaca when we were in in Oventique, one of the Zapatista communities in Chiapas, one of my classmates asked our maestro after we learned some of the history and just like all the things the indigenous communities have been impacted by, uh, she asked, so what can we do to help your people? And all of us just kind of like cringed, like, oh my gosh, what would you do? <laughs> You know, he was really honest and said, actually, the U.S. has done enough. <laughs> we don't need your help, but go back to your community and and work on the problems there. And so a lot of us took that response to heart. And when we came back not too long after was when the first hunger strikes at the detention center, immigrant detention center mm-hmm. in Tacoma happening. And for me, that's a, a personal place, too. A few years prior, I had had a family member who was detained there. And I really didn't know much about the facility. And so it was an opportunity for me to go with friends. And we listened to testimonies. We wrote our little cardboard signs. We didn't know what we were doing. It was doing. I had a little cardboard sign that said, love has no borders. (laughs) But that was my first introduction to activism in that way. And, And I kept going back to the space, you know, even after I graduated and a lot of my friends moved away. That was something that I I still wanted to figure out, you know, with the tools that I have or just through social media, I'd go and take pictures and share it on Facebook because I wanted people to know what was happening inside of this place. And I still try to contribute in some way, whether that's through art, making posts for a group locally that organizes to shut the place down, to stop deportations, making banners, things like that, that I feel like I can try to contribute amidst everything else going on. Because it is personal, and I know so many folks too now who have been impacted by the system of incarceration because of a lack of papers. Mm -hmm. Yeah. And so, how does printmaking fit into your practice now? I think maybe you touched on it a little bit in the talking about how printmaking with the capacity of the multiple, it does come up in activism a lot, you know, creating posters, creating messages, creating images that are strong enough to hold people's attention and then also hold a message. But for you, because you do the murals as well, and you mentioned on your website this like meticulous pointillism as well. When you look at your whole art practice, sort of from a bird's eye view, where do you see printmaking fitting in? I think I'm still figuring that out. Mm-hmm. I, it's something that I I really enjoy the process of carving out a print and in the ways that you're forced to think differently and think about value, think about balance balancing images so that it will print properly. And there's so much that I feel like I, I still am learning about the process of printmaking. But for the last few years, I think my, my goal has been to set up a space that I can do more printing. So I'm not just doing things by hand or relying on going to somewhere else so that I can print. I think it's been... I've been able to work on some projects like through Ways Goose Tacoma, where it's a big printing fest. Mm-hmm. And I've carved out four by four foot lino blocks to be printed with steamrollers. 
but I think my hope (laughs) is to be able to to make smaller more accessible prints to share I think printmaking in its intention like creation was a way to accessibly share what is going on in community to get the word out Mm -hmm. uh, about what's happening and you know I want to continue that with this art form to ensure that like like for me I'm I'm not so much interested in galleries and big shows like those spaces are just so uncomfortable for me Mm. what I hope to continue is to create art that everyday person can can see or something will resonate or it's a tool for education and that's that's what I'm hoping that I can continue to be able to fine-tune my own style and just dedicate more time to printmaking. One of Just Seeds members, Alec Dunn, gifted me a 1910 Potter Proof Press. Mm. <laughs> it's like a very big, very heavy <laughs> metal press that I cannot move myself. So yeah. trying to fix it up so that it works properly and that I can be printing from home. And so and with a lot of typeface too, because it's also made as a letterpress. So that that's something I'm hoping to <laughs> be doing within the next year is get it running properly as I've never actually used one before, but now I have one in my possession. And so I want to be able to get it working and, and share it with folks in the community that really want to explore printmaking and letterpress and for me to explore explore as well and see what is possible. Yeah. Would you be open to people reaching out and offering their help to get it going again? I know the podcast has a lot of listeners in the I-5 corridor area. Is that something that's at all interesting if someone hears that and they're like, oh, I fixed up one of those five years ago? Yeah, that would be great. I think my my friend was able to fix the pedal that was broken. I think we're just still figuring out what is the right alignment for the bed mm-hmm. to get all lined up since both of us have not really worked with one before. And in transport, we had to take the handle off. And so I don't know if I put the handle on incorrectly. So yeah, if there's anyone out there who is really eager to problem solve with me, and it's just also so heavy that I can't lift it by myself, that it does require at least one more person um, to maneuver. I think that the care and feeding and moving of printing presses is, again, part of the way that the printmaking community bonds Mm -hmm. so often is you will just have people who say, you know, I've, I need to move this poor press across state lines before she gets melted down for scrap metal. And, you know, you'll just have people come up and, and volunteer time and elbow grease because we do have a love for these old objects. And I think, what they symbolize and what they're capable of. So yeah, definitely. I'm sure we'll, we'll put a link to your Instagram in the show notes, I'm sure. And hopefully maybe someone around that area will uh, be able to, to help you out because having more presses community accessible is absolutely a, a net good for the world. Thank you. Yeah. I definitely took six of us to get it out of a basement in Portland and into you. <laughs> 
you all truck to bring it up to Tacoma. So it is, yeah, definitely community needed. And I've talked to Jessica Spring, who's a, who does letterpress here locally. And she's looked at it and told me how to like clean some things. So she's been super helpful, but I'm always open to different perspectives and <laughs> folks who might have more experience with this type of press because I, I didn't know this until after acquiring it that there are so few of them left. Yeah. Yeah, I think the larger and more complex the presses get, the fewer of them we have for sure still in the world. Yeah. So would you just, in terms of kind of plans for that, would you just be running things out of your home? Like access and, oh, that's so exciting. And, And I know that you've written that working collaboratively, it's like being a conduit to visualize stories that need to be told in communities. And I'm wondering if you could talk to that process a bit, because I think that's something that a lot of people would love to be a part of and and love to engage with their communities in that way, but maybe not necessarily sure where to start or how to go about it respectfully. Could you talk about your philosophy and your process for that kind of community engagement? Yeah, I think it, it depends. Like for some projects, if I have more open, like there isn't, if there aren't too many constraints, I guess, I try to think about what's going on community and and what I'm not hearing from a lot of people. Like I'm not hearing folks talking about certain issues. So for instance, in 2018, I worked on a mural that tried to highlight a bit of the detention center and also the liquid natural gas plant that was illegally made in our waterfront and trying to understand or, or bring together that those two issues are, there's some overlap in, in the root of those two, two issues. As, as far as other projects, I think that involve community that I may not know too well. I think I, I try to be really intentional of learning the history or having conversations with people or asking permission to share certain images or or talk about stories that may not be my own. Mm-hmm. There is a fine line, I think, of of taking stories and and benefiting from them. And I think that's that's something I'm trying to understand with a lot of activist art too, is like I feel pretty uncomfortable profiting off of someone else's oppression. Mm -hmm. So how do I tell a story that I think needs to be told, but do it in a way that is authentic and, and that I also find ways to continually support what I want to be doing. And those are like some deep questions that I'm, I'm still figuring out how to do. Yeah. (laughs) And seek guidance from now this network of artists that I know and and other folks I know that are making art in a similar way. Yeah, it's it's such a huge question and I think one that doesn't get enough airtime, at least in my view when it comes to work that is politically and socially engaged, is just as you spoke to, that space of lifting up a narrative or using your platform and your reach to shine light on a narrative, but then also the 
function of the art world is that you're going to be fundamentally benefiting from it in some way, you know, if not directly monetarily, but then at least through some sort of content production that you've made that then goes into your portfolio. And, Mm -hmm. you know, is that necessarily always negative? Is it morally complex? I'm sure it varies greatly from person to person, narrative to narrative, issue to issue. And it's a space that it feels like it's so important to walk into mindfully because there's such a long history of outsider activists coming into places and just scooping up benefits and leaving nothing behind. Yeah. Mm-hmm. Um, and so when you talked about the, the community of artists you have who are asking these questions, were you sort of speaking about Just Seeds? Yeah. <laughs> yeah. Really talking about Just Seeds. And, and there's other artists in the area too, muralists, painters, printmakers too, that I kind of talk to <laughs> and, and get encouragement from when I don't feel confidence in myself that I'm doing the right things. Yeah. For people who aren't familiar with Just Seeds, how would you describe them and, and how long have you been involved with them? Well, Just Seeds is um, its 15th year 15 anniversary this year it's a i describe it as a transnational artist cooperative so there are artists located in what we call canada the united states and mexico who are making art you know to push movement building and global solidarity around a lot of issues so for me, I, I see it as this network of of artists who are trying to do some good in the world and, and shine light about a lot of issues that communities are facing, but also make some inspirational art for these times that get really tough. So I was inducted into Just Seeds in 2020. Same with Andrea Narno, who was also interviewed on your podcast that was the first time in a while that Just Seeds has brought in new members. And so we kind of all dived right in and, and then pandemic has happened. So yeah. I haven't been able to meet in person. I think within the last year, I, I met Andrea for the first time in person and a few other members of Just Seeds. So we're slowly, slowly meeting each other outside of Zoom boxes. And I'm, I'm really looking forward and hoping for further collaboration with a lot of artists outside of digital, maybe poster making, things like that, that we've been able to do during this time. But I'm excited for for what possibilities are in store as we're able to be around each other in person more. Yeah, I'm excited for that very much as well. And I know with Just Seeds, there's a lot of people who use print media, but it's not just a printmaking organization, correct? Yeah, it's definitely, I would say, started by a lot of printmakers. And with the kind of introduction of more artists, I would say there are definitely a handful of folks who are really great at graphic design, a lot of folks who paint murals, um, photography, collage. There's a lot of different mediums. And so it's really wonderful to see what folks are up to and what mediums 
call to them and just constantly learning from each other and and feel really good about asking questions about technical things as, yeah. as issues come up, printmaking or screen printing. And, and folks are just doing really cool things in their own communities too. And so, yeah, it's it's been beautiful to to continue to learn, but also humanize all these people who I've like looked up to for so long. Yeah. Like, you know, we're all going through life stuff too, and we're human and we're just trying to make rad art and share it with the world and inspire movements to continue their momentum. Yeah, absolutely. And that's such a powerful space, I feel like, you know, as you're speaking of that community and it being a place to ask questions and a place to work through issues. And then of course the art making on top of it, it's a, it's a very cool thing. Yeah. Have you found in terms of the way art and art making intersects with community building in this sort of, you know, we're not post pandemic, but we're in a weird nether region, I feel like, of or a, a, a pandemic sort of purgatory where it's around and it's still affecting people greatly, but it's sort of slipped from like the everyday consciousness for some people. The art and community building in this new space where it is hard to gather people, you spoke of being able to start to see people in person. How have you seen it change? And And do you have any advice for people who are wanting to get back engaged with it, but do it in ways that still ensure safety and respect. I mean, art is definitely this universal language and, and something that I think we, we create with like our spirit, our soul and put so much of our energy into and, and something over the last few years, I think in part because of social media, there is this pressure to continually produce content and like art has become content. Mm. <laughs> and, you know, I, I would encourage folks who maybe want to take up their art practice again or try it out or make it their full time thing, you know, that that they have permission to take the time that they need to explore and and try, you know, and figure out what works for them. I'm certainly <laughs> an example of that, that I'm interested in a lot of different things and I'm still figuring out, you know, what I want to be doing or how I want to be doing things. And that's okay. That's that's the journey and that's that's the fun part of this. Mm-hmm. And, and I think being able to being able to ask those questions of other folks who are trying to do the same thing right art can be such a lonely practice yeah and being lean on community members for advice or just seeing you know how folks are doing their own practice just some of my friends have in the last few years have quit their day jobs and just really pursuing art as a full-time gig and it's really inspiring to me but I see also how hard they're working all the time to be at all the craft fair and and pushing out their art constantly and not sleeping and you know I, I want them to to be able to to take care of themselves and do what they 
really enjoy doing without it, like harming their well-being too. Mm-hmm. Right? It is this balance. Yeah, and I guess sort of speaking of the of the day job, art making balance. You spoke at the top of the show about how you've got a day job that is food and an environment and community access to food. How does that having that you know be the 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 day job part of you does that influence your art making and your politics and your motivation as well or are they two separate things for you I think it's a little bit of both I think for me part partially it's to have some financial stability because I'm not in a place right now that I I feel like I could do art full time but it also engages a different part of me too right that I get to continue to be in community work with people directly you to learn about growing food and and learning about different types of food and how to cook them so it intrigues a different part of me but I think may show up in different aspects of the art that I do as well like for instance I just finished some panels and some of the community members that I highlight are folks that I've just been working with over the last few years and with their permission asked if I could highlight them as as really awesome community members that I've gotten to know and so those relationships I think are above anything are like the most important for me and in this work because there's yeah so many wonderful people who are working so diligently to support their community members especially a lot of the immigrant and refugee populations that I get to work with who are still saving seeds that they brought with them from their home countries and growing, growing that food here that it's now been climatized (laughs) for our climate. Mm -hmm. They may come from more warmer tropical climates. It's just been really beautiful to, to witness and know that they're really striving to keep their culture and traditions alive you know, as I'm exploring my own identities in that way, not having like fully been immersed in, in them growing up. Yeah. I'm curious too, if you could speak to the experience of being an artist who responds in real time with their work to what's happening in the world. I'm thinking most recently the death of Masa Amini and the protests in Iran, but these things that are unfolding in real time and then also being someone who's making work that is a reaction, a response, a conversation with it. And is that something that for you requires a certain level sort of of, of bravery or sort of working through emotion or is it maybe the, the processing in and of itself is the making of work and sharing it? Yeah, creating art especially in that realm, is definitely a way for me to process those emotions that I tend to hold on to. I'm still working and practicing on how to share my feelings verbally. Mm -hmm. (laughs) And art has definitely been a way for me to channel whatever rage and grief and all these things I might be feeling internally into something that I hope will, will better the world. Or you know, reach someone else who might be feeling the same way, but not sure how to express it. And so, yeah, for me, it's, 
especially with everything that's going on in Iran currently, you know, I do get into those spirals of <laughs> doom scrolling mm -hmm. and, and reading updates. And then I have to remind myself like, oh, I need, I need to pause and I need to, to think about how these things are affecting me and maybe paint a little bit or draw. And it helps some of those things come out, even if it just needs to be tears. <laughs> Mm hmm. Yeah, I think it's uh, Killjoy has a, a print that has part of it as uh, tears are medicine. I think. Do you know that one? Yeah. Yeah. It's like the, the yeah the prayer is medicine, laughter is medicine, tears are medicine. Yeah. Have you gotten to to connect with Joy at all? I'm just thinking of being two people in the printmaking mural making world. I could I could see you two collaborating. Yeah, we were finally able to meet in person this year when I had a very long layover. <laughs> oh, nice. <laughs> Two very long layovers. So, yeah. Yeah, she graciously picked me up from the airport, let me nap <laughs> in her studio. <laughs> and we went on lots of food adventures. Yeah, it was it was really beautiful to to connect and I'm I'm hoping, yeah, she's definitely one of those folks I'm like excited to collaborate with on a project at some point uh, when we can figure that out. But yeah, no, it's been, yeah, she's someone that I was able to meet this last year as well and always look forward to see what she's up to and just continue to learn so much. <laughs> yeah, yeah, absolutely. I'm glad you two were, were able to connect. So do you have any kind of I don't know. I always like to ask us sometimes questions about ambitions that they would have or dreams that they would have if they did have that sort of magic wand and erased barriers of funding and day jobs and that kind of thing. Do you have any projects or things that if you just really could make them manifest that you'd like to see in the world for your artistic practice? Well, honestly, the, the first thing that comes to mind for me is just like more time with the people that I really care about. Yeah. So day job, working on art projects at night, it, it doesn't give a lot of room for deep rooted relationships. And that's something I think over the last few years I've, and as like, I see my parents getting older and like having health challenges, like that's something I've been really wanting to dedicate more time to are those relationships and that time together and that being said I think with art I do want to pursue more collaborative projects because that desire for community is so strong and especially with the last few years just feeling super isolated really wanting to connect with people on a deeper level and through art I think that's possible mm, yeah yeah, that's that's a really beautiful answer. Definitely one that I I connect with is that I don't know that I would want to make something really grand, but just have more time to live in the good fabric of life, really, and do what I'm doing. Yeah. Do you have anything on the horizon in the in in this realm of of existence? Uh, not future casting here, a project or anything that you'd love people to know about, anything you want support on, anything just on the horizon or even that's just you're looking forward to that's going to bring you some joy? 
That is a great question. There are a couple projects coming up that I'm should probably finish soon. (laughs) (laughs) One is for the Fred Hutch Cancer Research Center in Seattle. They're doing a dialogue series with artists. And so there's been a couple panel discussions with employees at Fred Hutch who identify as Asian American, Asian, Native Hawaiian, Pacific Islander community. So I'm, I'm finishing up a, a design for, for them that will go up in several places on their campus. And then there is a collaboration that I'm working on for a sound transit construction site. There's nine of us artists who are designing 12 panels each that will go around the site as a new sound transit station is being built in federal way. So those will both be finished by the end of the year (laughs) or in the next two weeks. (laughs) And, And then, you know, my big hope is to get this press up and running so that in this next year I can maybe move a little bit more slower and and carve carve some blocks and print them. So that's what I'm looking forward to in, in the art realm. Yeah. Oh, that sounds really good. And where can people see these Fred Hutch talks? Are they being broadcast for the public? They have been recorded and the YouTube video of them is linked on their DEI website with their dialogue series. So it can be found there and I can send you the link as well. Great. Yeah, we can definitely put that in the show notes. And the time we had left, this is almost more of a, I guess, a a selfish question or Miranda's personal interest question. I'd love to hear you speak to the experience of being in the arts in Tacoma. I grew up in Olympia. I spent a lot of my professional career in Seattle and I know that that whole part of the world has changed dramatically uh, the way many parts of the world have in the last 20 years. But I've always had such a soft spot in my heart for Tacoma and its slogan, you know, the city of destiny, which is always so fittingly dramatic. But I've gotten the impression that as Seattle has become less accessible in terms of housing specifically, that more people and more creative people have been moving to Tacoma and creating more art community there. So what, I don't know if that's true or not, or what your experience has been, but I'd love to hear your thoughts of just being a person who's making in that city. Yeah, I think, I mean, I'm, I also contribute to this too, not, not having grown up in Tacoma, right? But uh, there is a really amazing art community here, whether that be printmakers and, you know, folks who are doing letterpress and bookmaking, a lot of writers. There's the Glass Museum. So, you know, with Dave Chihuly and kind of this a really amazing network of glassblowing artists. There are a fair amount of muralists and we kind of see this range of folks who grew up doing graffiti and then doing more public art and varying styles of of murals and paintings and a lot of ceramic artists and it's just been I think a really supportive community 
of creative people who are just, you know, <laughs> trying to make their things and been really beautiful to, to see. And Tacoma is changing too, right? Yeah. Like you said, people are getting outpriced in Seattle and moving down this way and, and folks in Tacoma are getting outpriced of where they're living and being pushed farther south. So the, the landscape is changing and, I think the type of art that we might see at markets is changing a little bit too. But I think I think Tacoma has some really amazing folks who are going to stick around. So I'm I just look forward to see what folks will be working on next. And yeah, I don't, <laughs> I don't know. yeah. No, I, I I love everything you just said, and I feel like that confirms a lot of my hopes for. Tacoma. And and so where can people find you and, and follow you and see your work and get in touch? Yeah, uh, folks can find me on Instagram. My handle is underscore psychic, S-A-I-K-I-C-K underscore. Uh, you can also find some of my work on the justseeds.org website. Other than that, you might find me on a farm, (laughs) playing in the soil, or harvesting food. (laughs) But I'm around and like happy to hear from folks if they have questions or or just want to collaborate. Yeah, beautiful. Well, thank you so much for taking the time out of your day and having a chat with me. It's been really lovely getting to know you and your work better. Thank you so much. I appreciate you reaching out and and taking the time to have this conversation. Thank you. If you liked today's episode, we have a Patreon where you can help us keep the lights on and get bonus content. Like Shop Talk Shorts, where our editor, Timothy Pauschak, digs deep on materials, processes, and techniques with past guests. Also, if monetary support isn't in the cards right now, you can leave a review for us on your podcast listening app of choice, or buy something from one of our sponsors and tell them Hello Print Friend sent you. But as always, the very, very best thing you can do to support this podcast is by listening and sharing with your fellow print friends around the world. And that's our show for this week. Join me again next week when my guest will be Henry Gepfer, an artist, curator, and educator based in Lancaster, Pennsylvania. We talk about the joy and the pain of being a performance artist, the effects the pandemic had on all our self-worth, the performance of masculinity, and how printmaking fits into all of this. You won't want to miss it. This episode, like all episodes, was written and produced by me, Miranda Metcalf, with editing by Timothy Pauschak and music by Joshua Weber. I'll see you next week.